think this Gen Z alignment in particular, you know, this, this emerging majority of the workforce, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. You know, these, these people want to see the values that they believe in reflected in the companies that they work for. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I am your host, David Reiling, and I'm very excited to welcome Andre Rupay today. Andre, thank you for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. Dave, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting. Before I get started, just a reminder to our audience of our musical feature at the end of the episode. It's become very popular. And so the Next Gen Banker episode showcases a new artist from somewhere around the world and in a wide range of genres. So uh, check it out. It's pretty cool. And you'll be surprised, I think, uh, with the talent that's on there. So Andre... I uh, want to tell our global audience a little bit about you uh, before we dive into our conversation. So you're an entrepreneur, an author, a communication strategist, and purpose consultant. Um, you are the founder of The Soulful Advantage, a consulting firm helping businesses forge a connection between purpose and profit. The author of The Purposeful Nine and Soulful Advantage, a book highlighting nine business leaders and the way they became purposeful in their work and which has led them to become more successful. And it seems like you have many passions, Andre, uh, including sustainability. You're on multiple boards of nonprofit organizations uh, around New Hampshire where you where you live. So with that background, I'm dying to kind of jump into, Andre, how did you become passionate about purpose? Where was that aha moment in your life that it kind of rang that bell. I guess there are two answers to that question, Dave. The first one would be um, the, the, the origin of my first company, Bopray & Company, which was a communications firm, a national communications firm. And we were working with uh, venture-backed uh, companies, a lot of companies in technology, business-to-business-focused companies. And these were the days when purpose wasn't really – uh, discussed at all. In fact, it was it was still the the era of Milton Friedman with, you know, stakeholder not really existing, but shareholder being the sole purpose of a company. But I had the good fortune, Dave, in those early days uh, of working with uh, impressive visionary founders of these companies that I mentioned, B two B and tech, and I'd say mid tier companies, you know, fifty to a hundred million up to a billion dollars in size. And even though the world wasn't practicing uh, purpose like we know it today, these companies that taught me how to run a better business were highly influential. So I saw the way that they treated their employees. It was a two-way street. They cared about how they, how they felt about the businesses that they worked for. And they embedded within those cultures a mission-aligned philosophy that got people um, you know, personally involved with the company and with the communities. And with making the world a better place. And again, I, this was at a time when it really wasn't de rigueur, if you will, for a, for a company, especially a non-consumer company to do that. And I'd say more recently, um, when I started Soulful Advantage, a consultancy focused on helping companies embed purpose authentically within their organizations. That was 2017. And I had just come back from several weeks in Peru and had visited um, the Sacred Valley and Machu Picchu. And we, uh, as part of that venture, had gone into school systems and helped work with the local kids and brought them 
all kinds of goodies that they never would normally have to uh, to make the school experience better and did some programs with them. And that really sort of lit the fire for me and uh, got me on the road of wanting to really pursue purpose as a business uh, focus. So that that's fantastic, Andre. And I, and I love the fact that you dove into it face to face is what I would say um, in Peru and your service there. When you think about a business, let's say in the United States, particularly where, you know, that that shareholder and the immediate profit seems to be ever looming over the shoulder of a CEO, we, we talk about purpose. And is there a way to define it? Is there a way to say this is the secret sauce or uh, the alignment that you're looking for? How do you describe purpose when you're when you're talking to a CEO? Well, I, I would I would talk about it in the sense of creating a a loop, I guess, a loop. And by that, I mean, um, and, and you talked about this with me when we, when we wrote the book, Sunrise Banks, you know, really creating a mission aligned culture that was really driven toward making the world a better place. You have value aligned uh, and you created a high performance workplace culture. It's a people first environment. So I would describe words like that to describe purpose. But by the loop, I mean, the more good you do, the more it comes back to your organization. And the purposeful nine companies in the book, there are nine different companies of all different types, didn't really do it to create competitive advantage for themselves uh, or, or really to have any self-focus. It was they, a lot of the people described why they did it, Dave, as, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. And what they found out over time is that doing the right thing uh, with authenticity uh, comes back rather quickly and creates a, a, a better organization internally. People are more loyal. They believe in the, the purpose of the actual company they work for. They see their own values reflected in the type of company that they're working for. And they're seeing the impact of that in their local communities and in the world around them. So uh, the, the big benefit and the alignment I make in the book is the correlation between being more purposeful, authentically being more purposeful because it's the right thing to do and seeing a return in the form of competitive advantage creation. And each of the purposeful nine, and I would argue every company that's authentically purposeful and is working to uh, become a conscious capitalist, if you will, you know, they're seeing the benefit coming back to them in terms of competitive advantage. And when I say competitive advantage, I'm talking about things like recruitment and retention impact, which has never been bigger than it is right now with the, uh, with the great resignation and so many people looking for other types of work, but a definite impact first and foremost in recruitment and retention, top and bottom line impact in the book, The Purposeful Nine, these companies talk about the impact that it's had on their bottom line and their top line in a very measurable way, not in a qualitative subjective way but in a very measurable way there's a company in houston called bmc software that whose ceo you know talks about it at length in a very pragmatic way um i would talk about uh, other things in the area of competitive advantage including measurable sustainability gains you know environmental gains for for the planet to make it a better place um positive new business development there's a company in the book called TerraCycle, and that was one of the big derivatives of being more purposeful is just being able to have conversations with the biggest companies in the world. They're a recycling company in New Jersey. Being able to have these conversations with the highest level people in the biggest organizations 
um, and and seeing you know an, an interest in their company because these larger companies believe in the value system that TerraCycle represents. So it's it, there's a direct alignment with competitive advantage, which wasn't pursued as a, as a strategy, but it ended up being a reality of of making the world a better place. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. And in, in reading the book and in uh, so my own experience with Sunrise is when you have that I'll call it values alignment, that purpose alignment. Uh, it, there's a tendency that everybody's rowing in the same direction. Um, there's there's this totally. Yep. consistency. And so I think the speed picks up in the boat, the more aligned people are in terms of the purpose of what they're doing. And I think the energy raises, the more values aligned you become, the more purposeful the company is, because you you feel the, the good that you're doing, and it's really quite energizing. Um, but let's go back for one second, because it is such a big topic today of, of recruit and retain. Let's let's think and talk a little bit. Did you have any insights in regards to how do these companies um, onboard people? How are they finding these people that are values aligned or purpose aligned? Uh, were there any nuggets there? I think that the, the the relationships that they've built with you know partners and in some cases NGOs and local community um, and uh, you know relationship building. Which when I think about Sunrise Banks and I think about you as the founder and the CEO in the early days with the Hmong community, you know, you were getting out there, like rolling up your sleeves and you're still doing that, I'm sure, meeting with people and trying to create, you know, authentic, deep-rooted relationships because you cared about that community. And that ended up paying back uh, in spades for, for Sunrise Bank. So I think relationship building gets the word out there and it creates a buzz, if you will, about, uh, about uh, you know, Sunrise Bank and any purposeful company you know, um, being a great place to work. And I think this Gen Z alignment in particular, you know, this, this emerging majority of the workforce, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. You know, these, these people want to see the values that they believe in reflected in the companies that they work for. So I think, you know, they're looking for that more and more. I mean, there was a time when it was, you know, what salary is it? What's the benefits program? And where, you know, how far is it that, that I have to drive to work? And, Things like that were like top of the top of the agenda, right? For how I choose a company, but now it's it's increasingly can 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 I work for this company? Who's leading it? What do they stand for? What have they done? Um, and they're trying to see the reflection of their own values, like I said, in the companies that they're considering working for. And then when they work for them, you better deliver as a company because they're they're expecting that, and their involvement will be great because um, they believe in it when they see it. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I have a couple of kids in the Gen Z <laughs> uh, and we talk about this regularly and, and that their philosophy is really grounded in, in that purpose driven. Uh, maybe I had a little influence in that, but um, you, know, you can only tell your kids so much until they grasp onto things. And so it's been quite an interesting journey there. So the there's an attraction there and let's go back to the, the ethical leaders of these of these companies and um, and other companies that you're seeing, are there any insights? Are there any differences when there's a a leader or set of leadership teams that are in a purposeful company versus one that's not? Is there is there some unique characteristics or insights there? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'd say that you know the the alignment or the impact of the the visionary founder 
And in some cases, the leader um, is the number one, um, you know, walk away uh, from the purposeful nine, the book that I wrote. Um, of the nine, eight of the companies were founded by people like yourself, Dave, who started it from scratch and grew it and embedded their own mission and values within within the within the um, the organization. Um, BMC Software in Houston, which is a couple billion probably in revenue, private, um, is the only one of the nine in my book that wasn't still being led by a visionary founder. They've been around for forty plus years and. They've had probably, they've had some good long leadership stints, you know, of 10, 20 years, but probably had in all four or five different CEOs over that 40 year span. So um, the visionary founder is absolutely key in creating, you know, a, uh, a connection. I think all of these companies began like you did with, you know, writing down and, and creating and forming. A, um, a set of values that, that represent the organization, not top down, but sort of bottom up uh, creation of this kind of this kind of mindset. And at Sunrise Banks, I just love the way that you express the values, you know, of the company. You just say cool things like, you know, uh, obvious six catchy values bigger than us, do, do the right thing, step up big time, woohoo, you know, so have fun in the workplace. Because we can blind spot awareness, you know, for diversity, equity, and inclusion, just an expression of of alignment with people uh, that work for you and choose to work for you. Yeah, we we uh, and thank you for calling those out. Those are very important to us and very integrated into really everything that we do, including in the recruit and, and retain side of things. Uh, uh, we interview and and talk to potential. Em- new employees around the values. Orientation is about values. Performance reviews are about values. So it kind of works its way uh, throughout the organization. Um, so it is also really interesting to hear, and, and I think it's beneficial to hear, that a company doesn't necessarily have to be um, a founder visionary in terms of the company, although it seems predominant in the book. There are examples of of companies that have leaders and maybe multiple leaders, like you had mentioned, that can bring the purpose-driven culture and focus of the company in and, and really develop it. Now, I'm, I'm sure that company has, and that CEO has support of the board and its employees. When we Think about the role of an employee in this particular case. Is there any way that an employee within an organization can kind of spark the purpose-driven flame, if you will, of, of a corporation? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we that, that's the goal, right? To get not just a, a, um, a mindset connection between personal values and the workplace value system, but to make everything actionable. So actionable purpose, I would say. Um, and ways to do that, um, I think you start with the people that you hire, right? And I, I remember with Sunrise Banks, with our interview, you talked a lot about people um, being hired and fired in large part based on corporate governance, uh, you know, and, you know, the values that, that they have and that they exhibit. So you want to create, you know, committees and have committees being self-formed that are associate driven. You want to have a volunteering structure in place paid time for purpose activities, community service, you know, things like that. Um, And I'd say the more that it's sort of bottom up driven versus top down, 
the much more successful that program and that effort will be, you know, internally because people will just believe in it. We have many of the many of the, the purposeful nine companies, you know, created programs that uh, reflected this type of, you know, bottom up involvement by employees and by associates. Definitely. So. Two more questions for you, Andre. Uh, one, let's go macro for a second. When you look at the purposeful companies that are out there, is this a is this a growing trend, um, an authentic growing trend, or is there greenwashing? How would you kind of look at the state of purpose driven companies today? Yeah, I was trying to think before this this interview, like when did this when did this all start? And I think there were, you know, seeds planted. The first one I can think of was you know probably Newman's own which is circa 1982, you know, a real purpose pioneer, Stonyfield Farms on the consumer side, probably 1983, um, you know, those were founder driven. But then I think of, you know, like President George H. Bush with his thousand points of light. And I think of other companies that in some cases were not uh, founder driven, um, but yet were able to embed that. I think um, it definitely, it isn't um, essential that the, the founding visionary be alive and be actively involved still in the organization. The purpose and the values that are embedded within the organization can live on, but it has to live on through the, through the new regimes of leadership that are created and that, that are uh, put into effect by the organizations themselves. So I would agree that it's not a, a, a case of having to have the visionary founder, there are probably even more examples of companies that have created, you know, cultures that are uh, archetypes of purpose uh, that have not, you know, um, done that previously. So when we talk about uh, that perpetual purpose, and so beyond the founder, if you will, um, you, in, in the embedding the purpose into the culture of the organization, I'm going to uh, deliver you the, the next-gen banker question here. So when you think of banks and bankers, if you will, in which to perpetuate a good mission, uh, what does the next-gen banker look like to you? You know, I think of the Global Alliance for Banking on Values. Now, the, when I wrote the book, it was around 70 different financial institutions holding over $200 billion in assets under management. And I bet it's grown quite a bit since you've uh, taken over as chair. Um, but I look at those types of banking institutions as you know, uh, independent uh, uh, organizations committed to advancing positive change in the banking sector. You know, is that typical? I'm guessing it probably isn't. I'll pause here, Dave, and let you jump in. Yeah, and I would say, uh, no, it is not the norm today, but I would say the strides are coming. And it's interesting to see the development of, uh, you can call it sustainable banking, socially responsible banking, environmental uh, banking. So it's the movement is coming, if you will. Now, like all of those types of movements, there is a bit of greenwashing that happens in the space, and we're experiencing that uh, around the world. But the movement and the conversation really is around a purpose-driven bank and the ability to do good and really impact change in communities, whether it is in the U.S. where we're talking today, whether it's in Bangladesh, whether it's in Asia somewhere. And so it's it's 
that what is appropriate for that culture, that place and space where that bank is operating. And so that the philosophy, though, is really taking hold and becoming very popular. And so it is in its development and it's growing nicely, and which is great. And so from that standpoint, the next gen banker and bankers are out there. Uh, really, the purpose of this podcast is to find those and to continue to uh, encourage those those in the industry as well as out to join and uh, do good within the context of the financial services industry because the power of, of capital uh, in terms of dollars is so powerful in both the social as well as the environmental aspect of, of the purpose that we're looking for. So, I, I love that. I mean, I just think the next-gen banker, you know, shifts from being sort of an aberration with a small percentage of banks being socially responsible to maybe a dominant, I mean, this is my my aspiration, right? But it becomes a dominant uh, case where that philosophy, that mandate, that mission is admired and pursued by by the majority versus buying a, by a small a smaller minority. I think these are value-based banks that, that, they're, that are part of uh, what you're talking about, not just focused on serving the top of the pyramid, but serving the needs of real people, you know, like you've done at Sunrise Banks and St. Paul and Minneapolis, and that they're really trying to deliver and measure themselves against, you know, sustainable economic, social and environmental development um, as a as a mandate at the highest level, not just serving, you know, shareholders. Exactly. And as your your book points out, you can do well and do good at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. And so I think uh, with that, Andre, I'm going to give you a, your, your book, definitely a plug. The Purposeful Nine and Soulful Advantage. Uh, it's worth a read. Great examples of nine companies out there doing well and doing good. Uh, Andre, thank you so much for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast today. Always great to connect with you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. I enjoyed it very much. All the best. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Luna Wave. Luna Wave is a collaboration between Aaron Sprinkle and Jesse Villa that creates EDM and indie pop music. Here is New Generation by Luna Wave. generation by luna wave find more of the band's music on spotify if you would like your music featured on the next gen banker podcast just email david at nextgen-banker.com with a link to your music and website thanks for listening to the next gen banker podcast we'll see you next time